0: This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the roaring 20s. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now, she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on Chapter 6, and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android.
1: Happy International Women's Day Uh, to one of the baddest bitches I know. Right back at
0: you. We're recording on International Women's Day. Shouts to
1: all the incredible women out there.
0: Yeah, truly. And you're definitely incredible if you're listening to this, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, this podcast has put you in the upper echelon. Absolutely.
0: Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories.
1: And I'm Moga, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them.
0: everything that we record and i'm like how am i gonna do this we're recording so long after we recorded the first one she doesn't even remember who david cam is a week after we record it so did
1: you listen to part one before today okay hear me out (laughs) first i want to remind you that you just prefaced this by telling me how wonderful i am (laughs) second i did oh and i did i did and i was so proud of myself because I was like, you know what? I bet Kristen would love if I gave the two-minute recap to people. Like, I've listened to this. I'm going to tell everybody what happened. In the first episode, this was last night. We were coming back from pizza. I had finished it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be the one to guide us in the two-minute recap. And then I went to sleep. And... I have no recollection.
0: Oh no! I was so, really excited
1: for your two-minute I know. Recap. So welcome to being unsurprisingly disappointed. <laughs> but I did listen. I had recall for two hours. <laughs> it has left. Here, let me let me try. Let's okay. just see if this will if this will stay in. Yeah, this will be good. It started in Galveston, Texas. Yep. This little boy was fishing. This torso washed up with some trash bags. They called the police. The police came, rummaged through the trash bags, found a newspaper that had an address. They went to the address. The landlord said the body they identified lived there along with this small old lady who was mute, I think, but may also be a man. (laughs) I'm confused by that. (laughs) Then there was blood on some carpet. This is where it starts to get hazy. Then the police... Mm, I'm not sure somehow they figure out that there's this guy named Robert who maybe also killed his wife not sure if she got on this train S- something about this place called Bottom. that's where I'm at is <laughs> that <laughs> oh, so, like no. kind of accurate? <laughs> oh no I was really strong in the beginning <laughs> yeah you had the first
0: two minutes of the episode down pat <laughs> Like, this is where I get lost, like right at around minute seven.
1: <laughs> well, it's probably because I started it a few times and then had to stop. So I've probably listened to the first like 10 minutes a couple times. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like you can carry us the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we'll we get into that recap. I'm going to just start it all over, you know. So You did a great job for a little while there, but... <laughs> And we're not going to go full two-minute recap. So today it is part two of The Disappearance of Kathleen Durst. So if you have not listened to part one, or if you're like MoGab and it's been more than 24 hours since you've listened to part one, mm-hmm. what are you even doing? Listening to things out of order. <laughs> go listen to part one. Can I do that? <laughs> Can I restart? <laughs> Can you restart?
1: Part one? Well, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: want to go take a break real quick? Go listen to that and then come right back. <laughs>
1: No, because I was fine. And then you just called it the disappearance of Kathleen Durst. I know that's who we're focusing on. But what about that body that was floating around? That wasn't hers. That was another
0: dude. How am I supposed to know what to title this? We got the disappearance of Kathleen Durst. We got the murder of Morris Black. We got the murder of Susan Berman. We've got a Robert Durst pretending to be a woman. And also he's really rich. I mean, what am I supposed to title this? It'll probably be like the murders of Robert Durst,
1: which I absolutely hate to call it that. Because I hate highlighting murderers, but... No, well, one, so thank you. How do you expect me to keep up then? (laughs) Two, perfect example of why we needed a flowchart. And if all of these were... Well, I guess they weren't all in Galveston. I was going to say like the murders on Galveston Island, but...
0: No, just Morris Black. Just the dismembering hatchet job. Well, I guess we don't know what happened to Kathleen Durst, so... Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with earn in. earn in. is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With EarnIn, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store, when you download the Earnin app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject here available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. All right, so when we left off, it was 2001, and Robert Durst was out on bail in Galveston for the murder of Morris Black, his neighbor that had been cut into pieces. And while he was out on bail, police learned a lot more about his background, and especially about two murders that he might have had something to do with. There was his wife, Kathleen Durst, who completely disappeared in 1982. And then in 2000, so like a year before Morris Black, his best friend Susan Berman, was found dead in her home just days before she was supposed to meet with police about Kathleen's disappearance, who yes, uh, yes. we call Kathy. Yes, This is coming
1: back. Yes. This is coming back. Yes. He got out on bail because they were like, it's $250,000, do you have that? And he was like, not on me. And they found out he's very wealthy, and all these people around him are disappearing. Yes,
0: exactly. So we did a lot of time jumping last week, but now we are back in 2001, In Galveston, and on the day of Robert's arraignment for the Morris Black murder, he was supposed to be in court at 10 a.m., but he never showed up. He had skipped bail and was now a fugitive. And in the documentary, The Jinx, which I told you Robert Durst was interviewed in, he Uh said, you can't give someone charged with murder bail. They're going to (laughs) run. He said, oh, (laughs) goodbye, $250,000. Goodbye, jail.
1: I'm out. (laughs) <laughs> i hope he said it just like that yeah. he obviously has the means to do that like right yes you know, dipping out the two hundred fifty thousand. can you remind me I, this is my last reference to the previous episode is this the fool who got arrested because he showed up for the eye prescription for the glasses yes yes that is him <laughs> people do get a little wild about their contacts or spectacles like he would show up for that appointment. That's how he would get caught. That's well, very funny. Guess how he got caught
0: this time, Mogab? Hmm. How do they always get caught? What always gets them food. caught? Food. 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 Fast food. food. Ah! Every time. Every dang time. I hope it's pizza. Yeah, Bob the billionaire thought it would be a good idea to stop in a convenience store in Hanover Township in Pennsylvania and steal a $6 hoagie sandwich while a fugitive. A $6 sandwich, Six you just blew $250,000. Oh, wait
1: till so you hear to- how
0: much cash he had on him, all right? Police couldn't believe he'd been that stupid. He has so much money, so much resources. He could have been on the run for his the rest of his life. He could have been on the run. And he slips up like this. Robert says he doesn't know what gave him the idea to shoplift, maybe just to see if he could get away with it. He had five or $600 in cash in his pocket. And another $38,000 in cash in the trunk in his car. But here he is stealing a sandwich. Over some damn cold cuts. (laughs) (laughs) He was detained at the store. And when the cops arrived, they're like, holy crap, this is Robert Durst. It was a little hard to tell at first because he'd not only shaved his entire head at this point, but he'd also shaved off his eyebrows. Which, I guess, makes you more unrecognizable, but it also makes you, like, stand out more. It makes me hate you as well. (laughs) As a known eyebrow queen. Murder three people, it's whatever. But shave your eyebrows? Yeah. You're dead. Don't touch
1: them! Don't touch
0: them! Gen Z. Are you listening out there? Gen Z? Gen Z. Police searched Robert's rental car he'd been driving around in, and they found two loaded guns, marijuana, the $38,000 in cash, and Morris Black's ID. He was in jail in Pennsylvania for about two months while he waited to be expedited back to Texas, and he called his wife, Deborah pretty regularly. Remember, he and Deborah had gotten married because he had needed to go on the run because he found out they were reopening the disappearance into Kathy, the investigation into her disappearance. And so he needed to go on the run. So he'd just been like, hey, Deborah, marry me. Here's a $77,000 ring. And she's like, cool. So he's calling her constantly from jail, which is always great, you know. But all they really learned from those recordings was how much Robert just loved his prison jumpsuit.
1: Wait, (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say loved her. No. Like Like, the actual attire. Yeah, he
0: was very impressed with how cozy they were and how easy it was to get on and off. Like
1: I mean, I love a jumpsuit and a romper. (laughs) I I do. They are very comfortable. Right.
0: This is what he's talking about while he's in jail on murder charges. How cozy his prison jumpsuit is. So Robert gets expedited to Texas to stand trial for Morris Black's murder. A lawyer named Michael Kennedy was brought on to represent
1: him. So did he admit, I know the ID was in the trunk, Mm -hmm. but did he ever say, did he confess yet? No,
0: no, uh, uh-uh, uh, no. He doesn't. Okay. He knows better than to speak to police. I, I don't know the man. He doesn't cold know cuts. better <laughs> to, than to do interviews in a documentary and steal cold cut. Yeah, you're right. No, at this point, I don't believe that he has really said anything to police about the murder. Okay. A lawyer named Michael Kennedy was brought on to represent Robert, but. Debra, Robert's wife Debra, hated Michael Kennedy because he'd been hired by Douglas Durst, Robert's younger brother, the one who had taken over the Durst family organization. And remember, Debra hates Douglas, and she's always telling Robert how Douglas stole the company from him and all of that. So she felt like this lawyer, Kennedy's loyalty, was going to be to Douglas and not necessarily to Robert. And honestly, Douglas was so afraid of Robert that he'd probably want him in prison. He'd like hired bodyguards to protect him from Robert. So, mm. you know, she's not wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, that seems like an awkward family reunion.
0: Yeah. Deborah also really didn't like the defense that Kennedy had wanted to run with. He wanted to, at first, he said that Robert was incompetent. And then he moved on to insane. And Deborah didn't like any of it. For one thing, if Robert was found insane or incompetent, then he wouldn't be able to make her power of attorney. And so she wouldn't have access to his trust. And I don't think this is like a money hungry thing. I Maybe a little bit. But Deborah is a powerful person in her own right. Like she runs this like New York real estate company. I mm-hmm. think it was more she wouldn't have access to his trust. So she wouldn't be able to control it. It would go probably to Douglas is probably who would who would get it. And she didn't want that to happen is what I think.
1: I can't really tell this. The, this marriage does feel very much like a what's in it for me on both sides. Well, it was
0: definitely a sham and it was definitely like they were f- like she was a friend of his. He has a lot of these women in his life that are willing to just like lay down on the line. He's rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that definitely helps for sure. It's just kind of wild. I don't know. You wouldn't marry somebody just because they're pretty. But the boy, does it help. <laughs> boy, does it help. Yeah, Right. So in the documentary, they said that she threatened to leave Robert to, like, not stand by him anymore if he didn't fire Michael Kennedy. And so he did. But I also know that Robert was also very much against using an insanity defense, maybe even more so than Deborah. So I don't think he wanted this guy to represent him either. So Robert ends up hiring this guy named Dick DeGuerin, who was one of the top defense attorneys in Texas. But Deborah wanted him to hire this guy, Mike Ramsey, who was another top defense attorney. So Robert just hired them both. Just two of the top defense attorneys in Texas. The legal fees for these two attorneys was going to run him nearly $2 million. And he was hoping that that would be enough to get him acquitted of Morris Black's murder. And that's in 2001, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Money can buy you nearly everything. And a side note, Dick DeGarren has a podcast called Presumed Guilty where he talks about several cases that he's done. And a few episodes are on this case, and it's actually really interesting. I mean, he truly is an incredible defense attorney, as you will see how good he is. But even he didn't think that they were going to win this case. I mean, the evidence against Robert was incredibly stacked. There was just no way he was going to get away with this. So at the time that they're gearing up for trial in Texas, New York also wanted him for Kathy's disappearance. And by this time, California was also after him for Susan Berman's murder. Oh, dang. They were all
1: three in different states. I don't know why I thought Susan was in New York, too.
0: Yeah. Well, probably because she had mob ties, but she was out in L.A. In Beverly Hills. But, you know, there's very little evidence with Susan and even less for Kathy. So everyone knew the one with the best chance of conviction was the murder of Morris Black in Texas. There was so much evidence against him. It was basically going to be a home run for the prosecution. You know, you've got the black trash bags with the information all inside of them tying back to his apartment. You've got the murder scene in his apartment. I mean, oh, the trash, the list in the trash. Well, that was for Kathy's disappearance. Oh, shoot. But yeah, let's not get it. Let's not get it confused. There's three murders here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You gave me no resources this time.
0: Yeah, just the actual entire script for part one and the episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> edited and ready for you to listen to. <laughs> oh,
1: I'm a jerk. I yeah. mm-hmm.
0: But the defense wasn't going to make it as easy for the prosecution as they were expecting. They were putting everything they had into getting ready for this trial, and they had a year and a half to prepare for it. They put on two mock trials, and DeGarren had Robert Durst analyzed by a psychiatrist. Robert didn't want to get analyzed at first, but DeGarren reminded him that he had chopped his neighbor up into little pieces and that if he didn't have an explanation for that, the prosecution could make it out that Robert was a serial killer on account of, you know, the number of people that seem to die when he gets close to them.
1: As a reminder, you did chop someone up in pieces.
0: Uh, Robert, you chopped somebody up in two pieces. So you're going to need to have a psychiatrist analyze you so we can tell the jury what is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily for the defense, Robert was being held at the Galveston County Jail. And in his podcast, DeGarren talks about how Galveston County kind of operates almost like its own country. that it's historically been very independent of the rest of the state of Texas which I thought was interesting cuz I didn't know that about Galveston County and I live and work in Galveston County.
1: Yeah, you should uh the Texas Monthly that is coming to you. Mm-hmm. There's actually an excerpt in there about this from some book, but it's about Galveston in the 20s. So oh, it sounds really cool. Yeah. The book comes out soon but they like put in like an excerpt in there. I'm going to actually read it. But I was unrelated but related. My mom would never let me pick up a shift at the Galveston Waffle House. Oh because of galveston county like and galveston county jails i believe and the <laughs> hospital down there B- basically everything about galveston kind of gave her the heebie-jeebies sometimes <laughs> really
0: <laughs> yeah well and louise always has uh, her opinions are always very valid and based based in fact ba- based solely in fact <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah for sure anyway because he's being held at this county jail The police there were a lot more laid back, and they allowed Robert to have a lot of access to his attorneys and this psychiatrist. DeGarren had found this psychiatrist that had been involved years before in this case, where a woman had killed her husband, dismembered his body, and then threw (gasps) the body parts out her car window while she drove to California.
1: What? Could you imagine being like three cars behind that? I'm... probably... I
0: assume these were probably rural parts that she's driving through and not just, like, oh. off the highway. <laughs> but I don't like know. Like, down 45? Just- <laughs> oh, my God. Here's a leg on your windshield. <laughs> and in that case, this psychiatrist had testified that the woman had been experiencing a dissociative state. And DeGarren thought that this psychologist or this psychiatrist – Might be able to find an answer about why Robert did what he did besides him just being a stone cold killer. After spending 70 hours examining him, the psychiatrist ended up diagnosing Robert with Asperger's syndrome. And this is 2003, when Asperger's was still a diagnosis. Today, the diagnosis would fall under autism spectrum disorder. But the defense knew that they could attribute Robert's unusual behavior to this diagnosis, and they felt like it would end up going a long way at trial. They felt like his diagnosis explained a lot, not just about his actions with Morris Black, but just the way that he was. It explained his lack of socialization, his lack of many friendships, how his whole life he seemed to be kind of a loner, different from other kids his age, but very intelligent. It wouldn't be a defense to an intentional killing. Autism does not make you aggressive or violent or have anything to do with the fact that Robert kills people but they could use it to frame the relationship between Robert and Morris Black and use it to explain some of his more bizarre behavior.
1: Isn't kind of Susan his only, like, friend that we know of, too? I mean, not that that's, like... And Deborah. Yeah. Well, yeah, his wife. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really all that he has in his corner at this point, as far as I know. Robert Durst's trial was huge news a multimillionaire charged with first degree murder after dismembering a body all while living in Galveston disguised as a mute old lady. And we still don't know the connection between him and Morris Black. Like why? They were just neighbors. Yeah. But we don't. Yeah. We'll find out more during the trial about their relationship. Mm -hmm. It was truly just a bizarre story and people were obviously very interested. In Texas in 2003, Dismembering a body was considered a Class A misdemeanor. What? A Class of A Of a human? Of a human. Today, that is different, but the DA wasn't going to go after him for the dismemberment at trial because it wasn't considered a felony. They didn't want to give the jury the opportunity to go for the lesser charge and just convict him on this misdemeanor, so they were really only going for premeditated first-degree murder. Robert entered a plea of not guilty, and the trial began in 2003, with the media descending on Galveston. The trial really began with jury selection. They had a pool of about 300 people, and there probably wasn't a single one of them that wasn't aware of the fact that Morris Black had been dismembered and found in the bay in garbage bags, missing a head. Yeah, that feels like front page news. <sighs> yeah, Daguerrein wanted to make sure that the jury they chose could separate the way Morris Black died. From all that stuff that happened after he was dead. Hmm. The prosecution was not allowed to bring up anything having to do with Kathy Durst's disappearance or Susan Berman's murder because there was no evidence that Robert had anything to do with either of them. So they were really just stuck with the facts of this case and what they could prove here. But they had so much evidence, like it was just a straight line to Robert Durst. It was a shoo-in. They started their opening statements by detailing what Robert Durst had done to Morris Black's body after he'd killed him, how he would dismembered every limb, put each one into garbage bags. There were pictures. Jurors were shocked and horrified, and it seemed like it would be an impossible task to bring them over to the defense's side. But Robert's attorneys were up to the challenge. Yeah, for $2 million. For $2 million. You're not going to believe what his defense was. Robert's lawyers got up there and said that he had killed Morris Black in self-defense.
1: Self de- oh, no!
0: <laughs> with all the bizarre things that Robert had done, insanity would seem like the only option. But DeGuerin said that he knew after speaking with Robert that he wasn't insane and he wasn't incompetent, and he felt like after hearing Robert's story that they had a defensible case, and he'd made sure that there were 12 jurors on that case that could understand why a person who just killed in self-defense would possibly dismember a body afterwards. He'd ask them questions during jury selection, like, do you think that there are reasons why somebody would do this? And they'd be like, (laughs) uh, they panic, maybe they would panic, maybe they would, you know? So he got people open to the idea that you would do that. DeGarren's plan of defense had several parts. One part would be a bit of misdirection where they basically blamed everything on Janine Perot, who was the DA of Westchester County where Kathy disappeared. And she was like coming after Robert Durst. She's very ambitious and good at her job. And she could get a grand jury to indict even when there was like really no evidence against him.
1: But they couldn't bring up, they couldn't bring up Kathy. You're just saying they're from the same place.
0: Right, the, they're the bl- they're blaming her on yeah, and I'll I'll tell you how they're blaming her. So she was going to use an investigation into him to further her own career, and so basically the defense made it seem like Janine Perot was the one that drove Robert out of New York and was the reason that he fled to Galveston. And in the documentary, Janine Perot said that Dugarin made her the focus of the trial so that nobody would focus on what Robert had done. And his attorneys were basically like, "Yeah, that's that's exactly that's what point. we did. We like it was so easy to make her the
1: enemy." But him being in Galveston doesn't mean he had to kill anybody. Like, who cares? But he
0: wouldn't have even been there in the first place, Mo Gab if it wasn't for Jenner. Ew. She'd been making statements to the press in New York about Robert. She'd flown down to Hobby Airport here in Houston, right down the street to go to his arraignment and brought TV cameras with her. Like, she really was going after him. It got to the point where DeGuerin had a gag order put on her, which, like, really pissed her off, but it meant that they didn't have to deal with her anymore. And in Uh DeGarren's words, they could now make her the punching bag during the trial, and Uh. she couldn't say anything about it. And the jury totally ate it up. One juror that was interviewed even said, Yeah, it made total sense that he'd want to get away from Janine Perot because
1: she was out to get him. I, like, can't get over that.
0: (laughs) Robert's defense knew that any defense in this case was going to be a hard sell, and eventually they'd have to try and get around the fact that he'd cut up the body. There was no denying that he'd done that at this point, but DeGarren also felt like the fact that there was so much evidence pointing to Robert shows that this was not something planned out in advance. This was something that just happened. Like, if it had been planned, why was there all that evidence in the bags pointing directly back to him? They even found a receipt for the hardware store where he'd bought the bone saw, but it was for after Morris Black had already died. Mm. So a key part of the defense was to, as DeGuerin puts it, embrace the ugly baby. (laughs) This is what he kept (laughs) saying. okay. And see Karen, picture this like big country guy in a cowboy. Give me the voice.
1: Give me the voice.
0: All right. (sighs) A key part of the defense was to embrace the ugly
1: baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can picture it now. Why also, why do we have things like a bone saw? Like why do we need to cut through bone? Is that really what it's called and what it's used for? For deer, I'm guessing. I don't know. Oh yeah. I
0: guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, and honestly, I'd prefer to keep it that way. Oh,
1: yeah, same, but, you know, friends with you, so. Here we are.
0: They weren't going to deny that Robert had dismembered Morris's body, but they were going to do their best to get the jury to see that it didn't matter what Robert did with the body afterwards, that didn't have anything to do with how Morris actually died, like, regardless of what he did with the body. His plan was to show the jury that Morris Black was an awful person, someone that had been run out of every single place he'd ever lived, he'd threatened to blow up a gas company at the last place that he lived, and they'd show that there had been instances between Morris and Robert that would show that Robert had a reason to be afraid of him. They had a bunch of people that agreed to testify to Morris Black's character, including staff from UTMB, which is the big hospital down in Galveston. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Who said he'd been going there to be treated for a heart condition and he'd been so awful to the staff and threatened them so much that they were afraid to treat him. Morris's family hadn't spoken to him in 30 years. People told stories about seeing him walking around Galveston yelling at little kids and shaking his walking cane at them. Oh. I mean, just your, like, stereotypical angry old man you know, crotchety old dude. Yes, they had plenty of people to prove that Morris Black was not a nice guy. There was also this story that DeGuerin told on his podcast that is pretty wild. He said that Robert had told him that Morris Black like really loved guns, but he didn't have any of his own. And Robert had a nine millimeter semi automatic and he also bought a 22 pistol. And they would take them out to Pelican Island, which is near Galveston. And they'd shoot targets at these telephone poles. and Like the two of them together? Yeah, the two of them together. They'd like hang out. They were kind of buddies, you know. And they'd go out to Pelican Island and shoot guns at these telephone poles. So DeGarren wanted to corroborate this story because it would show that Morris Black had this interest in guns and he needed that at trial. So he went out to find these telephone poles and he found them and he found all these bullets in the pole that corroborated Robert's story. So he mm-hmm. jumped through a boatload of hoops to get the pole taken down to have the bullets tested. And he finally got permission to do it. But when they went back to get the pole, it was just gone. And he said he always thought the prosecutor had been reading his mail and that he knew what he was doing with this telephone pole and that he got to the pole before, before De came. How do you in. just
1: like take down a telephone pole?
0: Maybe the prosecutor messed like, messing had people's more- landlines? <laughs> Maybe the prosecutor had more, uh, poll with the company or more connections, I don't know. <laughs> so, like I said, the poll could have been important to their case because it would have backed up Robert saying that Morris loved guns and they that would come helpful later on. But Daguerre knew that there was no way they'd be able to get the jury to buy self-defense unless Robert told his story himself. This was their big advantage over the prosecution. Robert was the only one who actually knew how Morris Black had died because The head had never been found. And all the evidence about how he died was up there in the head. So Robert Durst took the stand as the first witness for the defense. Robert talked about fleeing New York and how he just came to Galveston on a whim because it was literally at the end of the road. And there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of people down there who would know who he was. He told the jury how the disguise as a woman was the only thing he could think of because he was like, I can't grow a mustache or a beard quickly enough to disguise himself that way. So woman it was. But he doesn't have a very feminine voice. So he decided if he was going to be a woman, he had to be a mute woman. Which I mean, do you
1: just say that like, well, not say it. Do you just like write to your landlord? Yeah, he was gonna say she he would communicate by
0: writing stuff down. He talked on the stand about how he had to go to Walmart to buy a blouse and a purse. And the jury is, like, cracking up with him, like he's a stand-up comedian.
1: Did he only buy one blouse?
0: Like, did he have, like, one outfit? I don't exactly know what his wardrobe was like for old Dorothy signer. (coughs) But the defense's plan was working perfectly. They had managed to humanize Robert Durst. Someone on trial for murdering and dismembering a body is likable on the stand. Robert said that after he'd moved into the apartment in Galveston, he decided to stop wearing the disguise. He became good friends with Morris and had explained to him that he'd been disguised as a woman because he'd run away from New York. And he said that Morris understood. It seemed maybe Morris was also running away from a thing or two. They'd hang out occasionally. They'd go drinking together around Galveston, that kind of thing. But then Robert started to see how mean Morris was, and he started keeping his distance more and pulling away. And then Robert went into the events surrounding Morris's murder. It had all started on Monday, September 7th, 2001. Morris showed Robert an eviction notice that he'd received and he was really upset about it. He came into Robert's apartment and like tacked the eviction notice up on this door frame. And Robert went into the bathroom and while he was in there, he heard a gunshot. And when he came out, he said he saw Morris standing there with the gun. And he said he'd just shot the eviction notice, but he'd missed. There was a bullet hole. It wasn't through the eviction notice, but there was a bullet hole. And this wasn't the first time Morris had fired a gun in his apartment. Another time, Robert had been in the bathroom again, and Morris was in the living room, and he'd fired the gun into the closet. Who was
1: the eviction notice for, Morris Morris, or Robert? Morris, Mm Morris. Okay, but he got the gun from Robert that he shot through the eviction notice and missed? It
0: said that he just came with a gun. I oh. believe that they it was Robert's gun that he owned. I'm not sure, like, how he got it at that time.
1: Okay. Because we know, apparently, Morris doesn't have any.
0: I think, probably, when he was in the bathroom, Morris went and grabbed the gun to shoot at the eviction notice is probably what happened, mm. actually. After he fired at this eviction notice, Robert told him to leave and never come back. He didn't want him to come back to the apartment. All of this was the defense trying to prove that Morris Black was a violent and unstable man. And they did find bullet holes in all those places that Robert said that they would be. There was a bullet hole in the closet. There's a bullet hole in the doorframe. Then came September 28th, 2001. Robert said he came home and he heard his TV was on. He opened the door and saw Morris sitting at his kitchen table and that he was very angry at him. Robert had hidden a gun in his apartment and he went to grab it but the gun wasn't there. He said Morris stood up and came at him, pointing the gun at him. Robert grabbed for the gun, and there was a struggle. They turned, fell over the back of a chair, and the gun went off, shooting Morris accidentally in the face. Hmm. After he shot Morris, he went into panic mode. He didn't have a phone in the apartment, and his cell phone was left in his car that was parked at a synagogue, so he ran down the street to a payphone, but there was a woman using the payphone, and he asked her if she could get off the phone. He really needed it. But her boyfriend was in the car waiting, and he was a big guy, and he scared Robert oh off. Oh, my goodness. He's telling his whole story. He tried to get a neighbor's help, but they didn't answer. And How so, far is his car for the cell phone? Why I, is it at a synagogue? I don't know. And But he Ugh. just gave up at this point. He can't get any help. There's nothing he can do now. But, you know, he went back home, and Morris is lying there in a pool of blood. Definitely dead.
1: I don't buy it one bit. (laughs)
0: Daguerran led Robert through this part of his testimony, but they wanted the jury to see a clear separation between what happened when Morris died. So this like fight over the gun and it accidentally goes off and shoots him in the face. And then what happened after. So he had Ramsey, his co-counsel, come up and lead Robert through this part of the testimony about the dismemberment. So like two different lawyers to really just showcase the separation between these two events, what how Morris died right. and then the dismemberment. So, Ramsey's leading this testimony here. Robert said when he got back to his apartment, he was panicked. He didn't know what to do now. Morris was shot in his apartment with his gun. Police would look into his background, see he would disguised himself as a woman, and he didn't think the police would believe him that it had been self-defense. He says he was scared to death. But he knew he had to get the corpse out of his apartment, so he decided to wait until night and carry it out. But then he realized that he wasn't strong enough to carry him. There was nothing else to do but dismember. He went and bought a bone saw and garbage bags and went back to the apartment, got stoned, and went to town.
1: Ew. uh (laughs) When he
0: dumped the garbage bags in the bay, he expected them to just sink, but they didn't. When he came back the next day, he was shocked to see them all floating. Despite all odds, Robert Durst was great on the stand. He was calm. He stuck to the facts. I said at the beginning of part one that he is diabolical, and it is true. He is an extremely accomplished liar, and he was very, very prepared for this testimony and the cross-examination. Oh, yeah. it seems so calculated. Yes. The only time the defense was a little worried was when he was so emotionless describing cutting up Morris. He said, Oof. "I did not kill my best friend. I did dismember him." Uh, okay. Interesting he called him
1: his best friend. Right. I feel like Yeah. Their besties. Too. Even if you go with the story of self-defense and right. accidental gunshot, you still, you still killed, killed him. him. Yeah. It was an accident, but so that's interesting that – Like I did dismember him.
0: Yeah. Ew. And then the the DA gets up and they try to say that everything Robert said was a lie. They were able to point out that no one had ever seen Robert and Morris together. Like, so his story about how they'd go drinking all the time, they'd have coffee Mm -hmm. sometimes, and they'd do all this stuff together. Couldn't be true. Nobody had ever confirmed confirmed that. that. The prosecution's theory was that Morris had discovered that he was Robert Durst, and he knew Robert Durst was really rich. He'd go to the library almost every day and look stuff up. And the prosecution said that he could have easily found out who he was there and that he'd gone to Robert and basically blackmailed him, saying if he didn't give him any money, he'd tell New York where he was. And that's what got him killed. The prosecution thinks that Morris was shot in the back of the head, which would obviously disprove Robert's self-defense theory of they're both fighting for this gun facing each other. And the gun goes off and he gets shot in the face. But the one piece of evidence that would really prove whether or not Morris Black was killed in self defense was the head where Morris had been shot. Which it's interesting that that's the piece that's missing. It's interesting that that's the one piece that was never found. The prosecution is certain that when Robert saw the garbage bags floating and knew that they weren't gonna sink, he grabbed the one with the head in it, the only one that could really be used against him. And hit it somewhere that
1: will never be found. They can't prove that. Also, if he's like a genius, wouldn't he know that those weren't going to sink? Wouldn't he just like poke a hole in one or something? Like a small I did hole. not say he was a genius. I said he was diabolical. <laughs> no, but they said that he was re- not a genius, but really smart when they did the evaluation. Yeah. That he was like really smart. But like, <laughs> they don't sound like him. I guess like, I don't know. Would you think? I don't know. I He's yeah, he stole a six dollar sandwich and he thought those garbage bags <laughs> were gonna sink. And his story about it, I, I just don't he just has so much money that people I just he has so much money. That's what it is. I mean, he has more money than
0: I think we could even fathom. And the Where's it come from again? The buildings. New York real estate. They, his family bought up a bunch of New York real estate back way back in the day before Times Square was a thing. And I mean, they helped develop Freedom Tower. Like they own four or five, or maybe eight or nine of the most prestigious buildings in New York City, in Manhattan. Yeah. They are very rich. (sighs) They are very rich. So they cannot prove this theory, obviously, that he took the head and hit it because that is what would prove. That he didn't kill him in self defense. The most they could do really was point out how the bruises on Morris were not really consistent with self defense. They said that Morris wasn't this gun fanatic who was just constantly firing guns in Robert's apartment. They said that that was all Robert. All those bullet holes in the apartment, that was Robert. There wasn't a bullet hole in the eviction notice. Not because Morris had missed, but because that was Robert shooting at Morris and missing. So he'd wrestled Morris to the ground and then shot him again.
1: Yeah, actually, that makes more sense.
0: Yeah. They also pointed out how you don't butcher a person and bag up the pieces and dump them in the bay if it's self-defense.
1: Yeah, like even if you're like, okay, help isn't going to get here in time Mm -hmm. to save him. Like, this is someone you know and your friend, like you still call for help. You go to the nearest place that has a phone or the nearest neighbor or whatever, and you get help to then come get the body. Like, that's just what you do. I,
0: look, I just think that there has to be something more, yes, that there has to be something more going on here if you're cutting the body up and trying to hide it. Yeah. But how do you disprove self-defense? You know, once it's raised, the state has to disprove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And without the head, they couldn't do it. Not Mm -hmm. beyond a reasonable doubt. And I also think that the prosecution walked into this trial thinking they had an open and shut case and they were not as prepared as the defense was. And the Mm -hmm. jury found him not guilty of murder. (gasps) What? Yeah. He got away with it all. After the jury read their verdict.
1: oh, uh, Please tell me they try him in New York or California. <laughs>
0: well, after the jury read their verdict, Robert turned to Garen And this is all on camera. This is all filmed. You can see him mouth. Did they say not? And Garen says yes. And he turns to Ramsey on his other side. And he says, are you sure? Like even he <sighs> couldn't believe he'd gotten away with it. And yeah. I, I gotta tell you, oh, I can't. Listening to Dick DeGuerin talk about this case and his strategy on this podcast was so interesting because the fact that Robert was acquitted just shows what a fantastic defense attorney he is. And man, it really worked. Mm. The jury said they had a big struggle with their vote on this case, but they felt that when Robert was on the stand. He was talking from the heart. Oh, did they? He never had more than three guilty votes at any one point. There was one holdout who was only holding out because he'd chopped up the body, and the other jurors explained to her that they're not there to examine what he did with the body afterwards. They were there to determine if the event that took Morris Black's life was murder. And Garen and Ramsey really did an excellent job getting the jury to look Only where they wanted them to look.
1: Yeah. I've i never been on a jury, but I really want (laughs) to (laughs) be. Me too. I just like that conversation to get to that point, Uh to get all this information and to get to not guilty. Like, I need to watch that go down. I know. know. I need to be a part of that.
0: I know. And I really think, like, listening to because in the documentary, I don't think they really showcased enough how genius this defense was. And they just kind of made it look like the prosecution did such a terrible job that they ended up that he ended up getting acquitted. But I mean they were really smart how they how they did this and they were really well prepared. And so I I highly recommend if anybody that's interested, was it like hard not to get like angry
1: while you were listening? Like I feel mad
0: about No, I wasn't angry at all. Because look, I am angry that Robert got away with murder, but If the prosecution gets to put away innocent people, then defense attorneys get to, you know, free guilty people. I mean, that's just that's the way it works. And I think that it was just really interesting.
1: Do you agree with that? Or is that just the way it actually works? Like, what do you say?
0: I agree that it is the prosecution's burden to prove their case. And they didn't. And they have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt or innocent people go to jail. And they didn't prove it because they walked in there thinking that they weren't going to have to work very hard to prove it because they could prove that he they dismembered him, so they weren't working hard enough to prove that he'd murdered him. And Dick DeGaren went with self defense, which in and of itself was an incredibly risky move. He went with self defense and he proved it. And if you listen to him talk about it, I I really feel that Dick DeGaren believes in this whole thing. I think he truly believes. That this was self-defense, or at least that it could have very well been self-defense. Yeah. Do I want every single person to get away with murder? No. Of co- my God, of course not. I want everybody right. to have a defense that's going to make the prosecution do their jobs and prove it. You got. They got to prove it. That's the whole point. Yeah. Because once you are it's proven just- guilty, then the- your innocence doesn't matter at all once you're proven guilty. Yeah. So this is your one shot if you're innocent. And sorry. And I also don't think that these defense attorneys, this is the only thing that I'm upset about is these defense attorneys are only available to billionaires like
1: Bob here. Right. When everybody would this have ended if it was different? Right.
0: Everybody deserves a defense that can put in a year and a half and do two mock trials, and hire this psychiatrist, and go out to Pelican Island and find this telephone pole with these. I get a telephone it. pole. You know, I mean, everybody deserves that kind of defense, and like nobody gets it. You know, you're talking about the top top defense attorneys who, you know, on one hand deserve to be paid for their skills, and on the other hand, you know, maybe need to do a lot more pro bono work. Kristen, I don't know, <laughs> Kristen. Will do you working for free. I don't know the answer to that problem. It's a huge problem. And I hate it. But I think the
1: answer is you go to law school. Oh god, no. You become an attorney. Absolutely. And you do it for free. No,
0: absolutely not. You heard it here first. First of all. No. Because here's the thing. I would be so I oh my God.
1: Because I know I wouldn't say for
0: starters. (laughs) For starters, I gotta be organized. I'm not. And second of all, I would know that my disorganization would put an innocent person in prison. And I would take that on so personally. There's no way that I wouldn't carry that around with me forever. Like, there's innocent people sitting in prison because
1: I didn't do my job well enough. Like, I could not. But you'd be a defense attorney. So you could be like, oh, I let murders get off because I did my job really well, you know? Uh, no, I would just say I I didn't do anything. The prosecution
0: didn't prove their case. I think that if See, this, this is, is perfect, thing, if you're to, hired, I don't think defense attorneys should be able to get underhanded. I don't think that they should be able. But this case, Dick DeGuerin did nothing that was not above board. He mm-hmm. went in there with a defense of self-defense, which everybody thought was crazy, and he he basically proved it. Like you know, he didn't prove yeah. it, but he proved the. I was po- going to say, I know that, that he, that he was, proved it. He but proved that it was possible, and the prosecution. And the prosecution couldn't prove that it was impossible that he had killed in self-defense. And he chose yeah. a jury that he knew that would matter to.
1: That jury selection is so interesting. It is. Me. Yeah. Mainly because I've partook, partaken. Partaken. Mainly because I've been a part of it. Yeah. So
0: my yeah. feelings about this are complicated, but he did a good job. And it's interesting how he got off and he did get off, which I hate because he, yeah. you know, I-
1: i'm not passing judgment my feelings about everything are complicated (laughs) i just yeah it's just hard to like in some cases i'm like oh i'm so glad they had a good defense and then in other cases i'm like well that probably got him walking free so it's just hard to
0: well and i think about all of the people that if they had had dick DeGuerin representing them Mm -hmm. wouldn't have spent their lives in prison that were innocent Because sometimes I just think it's kind of a crapshoot. Like, they don't really know if they did Mm -hmm. it. They just put this guy on trial and say, this guy did it, and see how far that gets them. I mean, that's how I've felt with so many of
1: these cases. And um, Yeah. The one that really keeps me up at night in a good way is the um, the long shot. Like, someone was going through film from Mm – I can't think of the show now. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's how they, Mm -hmm. like, literally showed that someone was – yeah. Sitting at a baseball game. I know. I know. I go places all of the time and there's no proof that I was there. God, me too.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. Visit betterhelp.com/slash creepers today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp h e-l p.com slash creepers. This episode is sponsored by pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, PROSE proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. At the time of the documentary, The Jinx, Robert had new lawyers and they really didn't want him to do all these interviews for the documentary. Like, he'd gotten away with murder in Galveston, free and clear. They can't try him again with that. But he can still be tried for the murders of Susan Berman and Kathy Durst. And so they're like, please don't do this.
1: Why is no one pursuing? Why why isn't anyone pursuing those two? They are. And okay. they had good
0: reason to not want him to do the documentary. He has this tendency, and DeGarren noticed it during the Morris Black trial, of kind of muttering to himself out loud. He doesn't realize he's doing it. And he does that several times in the documentary where they take a break and Robert will be left alone, but his mic is still hot. Like one time you can hear him whisper to himself, I did not knowingly and purposefully lie. He repeats it several times. I did not knowingly and purposefully lie. And then he says, I did make mistakes.
1: Oh, that just gave me like the little hairs stand up.
0: I know. His lawyers figure out that his mic is hot and they run over to stop him from saying anything else. And that's not the last time he does this, but we'll get back to that. I swear I'm up to no good. Right. So after the trial in Galveston, no one could believe that Robert Durst had been acquitted. It became the butt of the late night jokes on everything from SNL to Jon Stewart. Front page of the New York Times ran the headline, New York real estate heir is acquitted of murder in Texas, with the sub-headline, Durst, who cut up body, argued self-defense. Like, that's the yeah. sub-headline on the New York Times front uh, page. Sub-tweet. Jon Stewart said that's the closest the New York Times will ever come to running a joke on the front page. <laughs> Durst, who cut up body, argued self-defense. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> gross. When the verdict came down in Galveston, Janine Perot was back to the drawing board trying to figure out what they could do about this in New York. She was really hopeful that maybe someone in the family would break and give them something. But Robert's father is one of the five most powerful people in real estate in New York City. When his own daughter-in-law went missing, there was nothing in the police files about the Durst family. They weren't even interviewed. California was also working on the Susan Berman case. No one could put Robert in Los Angeles at the time of her murder, but they know that he was in Northern California. He owned a house in a very small coastal town called Trinidad, and he flew in on December 19th, 2000, four days before Susan was murdered. Airport and taxi logs confirm his arrival. And there was some evidence that he was moving south. He had a calling card and he made two phone calls the next day from a payphone that we're about 90 miles south of Trinidad. And so if you're unfamiliar with the geography of California, basically picture California like a giant rectangle that is 770 miles long. And Trinidad is at the very northern part, and Los Angeles is 670 miles south. It's an 11-hour drive without stops. There was no activity at all on his phone in the three to four days before and after the murder. And the phone company said that the phone was totally turned off during that time. He was completely off the grid for three days until he showed up at an airline counter in San Francisco to purchase a plane ticket to New York. His flight left at 10 o'clock that evening. So plenty of time. Mm -hmm. Susan's body was found the next afternoon on the 24th. And the coroner said she'd probably been dead about 24 hours by that time. So Robert would have had the time to kill her and then get up to San Francisco to purchase that flight. And then there was one of the big mic drop moments in the documentary. Remember that Susan's body had been found because the police in Beverly Hills had been sent a postcard with Susan's address on it and the word cadaver? Cadaver. And remember how Beverly in Beverly Hills had been spelled wrong? It had been spelled L-E-Y instead of L-Y. Yeah. Well, Sarah, Susan's stepson, he found a letter with Robert Durst's return address on it. So it was a letter that Robert had sent. And it was addressed to Susan Berman in Beverly Hills. <gasps> spelled wrong. And Beverly is spelled wrong the same way on that letter. The handwriting looked almost identical. He has very distinctive handwriting. He makes these little loops in the L's. Like, yeah, and uh, they're on the letter and the postcard.
1: Booyah. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. He's not that smart. Like, (laughs) why would you, why would you send a postcard in your own handwriting
0: that says cadaver? I think that he, it's the same reason that he told the cops all those lies about Kathy's disappearance, thinking they would just take his word for it and wouldn't like check on anything. He definitely thinks he's invincible. He definitely, no I think there. he thinks he's invincible. I think he thinks he's above the law. This was even before he'd gotten off for the Morris Black. And mm-hmm. this was, a, you know, a year before he even had killed Morris Black. Yeah, I think, and I bet you that there's a 40-year time span in there. I'll bet there are probably several people that we don't know about. There's actually, when mm-hmm. I was looking into this house that he owned in Trinidad, in this tiny little coastal town in California. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of rumors in that town about this missing girl from back when he would frequent that house. Missing like missing young, young woman, I think. I think she was like 18, 19, 20, something like that.
1: So he's definitely a serial killer. Is is that what this is? Well, I mean he's killed
0: three people that we know of for sure. Like Kathy. I guess what's the definition
1: of serial killer? Three
0: people. Okay. Yeah. Two is a coincidence. Three is serial. Oh. (laughs) God. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, again, cite my sources, criminal minds,
1: you know. (laughs) Oh. That and Veronica Mars. I'll link it in the show notes.
0: (laughs) Look, I myself am an amateur handwriting analyzer because I've had to do that when I find like mean notes from my students to other kids. And if I, or they don't put their name on the paper, yeah, that, and they turn oh it God, in. That too. And yeah. if I was trying to match handwriting on this, I would say 100% that it's a match. The documentary showed Janine Perot, like they handed her both envelopes, and she goes, Oh my God, the B is exactly the same. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they had some handwriting uh. analysts come and look at the envelopes, and they noted the similarities as well. I'm pretty sure that I'd heard that handwriting analysis was pretty much looked at as junk science at this point. Yes. I think we said that in an episode. Yeah. Too. So I Googled it and the first link that came up was about this case. I don't think you could get on the stand in a court of law and say 100% the same person wrote both of those notes. But I can tell you personally right now with 100% certainty, the same person wrote both of those notes. In this court of law, it passes in as this- you know. In this court of law. Well, in this uh, not court of law that would have no determination on anybody's actual future life. Right. Yes. Also, nobody calls a dead
1: body a cadaver. Yeah, I'm sorry. I would say like, oh, that's
0: a cadaver dog who is looking for a dead body. I wouldn't say the cadaver dog is looking for cadavers, you know? Yeah, ew. Gross. Exactly. But the postcard said cadaver. and. Did
1: he spell that right?
0: He did. He spelled cadaver right. And the people that are like, you know, looking at this as Robert did it are saying, well, Kathy had been in medical school and she had a cadaver and she used to talk about it all the time. So it's possible that Robert had just gotten used to hearing dead bodies referred to as cadavers. And so 20 years later, when he kills Susan Berman, he's writing cadaver on the postcard. Robert was arrested in New York City in June of 2013 while they were still making the documentary because he'd broken an order of protection that his brother Douglas had put in place. His bail was only $5,000, and so he obviously posted that really quickly. But after this, he wasn't as willing to be interviewed for The Jinx. But the director, Andrew Jarecki, he finally manages to convince him to come in. And this is where the big bombshell of the documentary came in. They had just confronted him about the handwriting on the letter, and he's having some issues with burping because he's like an old man. But he manages to say that he can see that the handwriting is similar, but he denies writing it, of course. The interview ended, but Bob is still mic'd up. He went to use the restroom with the microphone continuing to record. And while he's in the restroom, probably like staring at himself in the mirror while he's washing his hands, he says, there it is. You're caught. You're right, of course. But you can't imagine. Arrest him. I don't know what's in the house. Oh, I want this. What a disaster. He was right. I was wrong. And the burping. I'm having difficulty with the question. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course.
1: This is a monologue he's having? Like, on film?
0: Well, it's recorded. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. hmm
1: <gasps> What?
0: It turns out, and I'll just say this here, some of that, that all comes from the same moment in this bathroom. The documentary did kind of Frankenstein it up a little bit where it wasn't exactly in that order. So he didn't actually say, what the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. But he did say both of those things, just not back to back. Law enforcement oh. knew that if Durst heard this confession on the Jinx that he was going to run again, they might never find him. And so the day before this finale episode was set to air on March 14th, 2015, 70-year-old Robert Durst was arrested <gasps> in New Orleans no. oh. and charged with the murder of Susan Berman.
1: Thank goodness. I thought you were going to say he died. No. you know that happens. I feel like that'd be no, happening. No, any 70. Well,
0: He could have faced the death penalty because technically he had murdered a witness. Susan was about to talk to police about his involvement with Kathy's murder, and the prosecution was convinced that she was planning on telling them about how she'd helped cover up Kathy's murder. Yeah, maybe. Deputy District Attorney John Lewin flew from California to New Orleans to interview Robert for three hours. And during this interview, he confronted him about the cadaver note, and Robert kept insisting that he didn't write it. He told Lewin that whoever wrote that note that night must have been involved in Susan's death.
1: Must have.
0: Must have been involved. He was transferred to California, but it took six years for his trial to begin. Mostly this was due to health issues. Robert Durst was a very old man at this point, and he had had surgeries for esophageal cancer and fluid on the brain. Once again, Robert Durst hired Dick DeGuerin to defend him, The man's a genius, helped him get away with murder once already, and he was hoping that
1: he'd be able to do it again. Do you think Dick's like, I don't really want to mess up my perfect score. (laughs) Like, that's going to be hard twice, my friend. Twice.
0: I do. I do think so, because this time the prosecution wasn't phoning it in. They were confident they had a a slam dunk case, but they were putting in the work to prove it. And this time they brought their A game. And honestly, I didn't get like DeGarren didn't do any episodes on this trial. It's so recent, but he didn't do any on this trial. So I don't really know like what his strategy was, what his thinking was, but it kind of seemed like he Mm -hmm. went in with a very similar strategy as before. And like he was hoping it would just work again this time. I don't know. But the trial began in Los Angeles in March of 2020. I oh, know. Mm-hmm. In opening statements, DeGuerin admitted that Durst had wrote that cadaver postcard and mailed it to the police. Total flip-flop of what Durst had been saying this whole time. But it wasn't because he'd killed Susan. No. In an incredibly unfortunate twist, it turns out that Robert Durst, had actually been the one to find his bff susan's body and this makes perfect sense <sighs> because robert had planned to spend christmas with susan and so he arrived at her house on the 23rd with his phone off and no record or indication yeah. that he was in the area and he just couldn't believe it when he walked when he walked in her house
1: found her found her dead on the floor just that's that's the explanation. I just showed up.
0: Yeah. I don't really, like I said, DeGarren did not do a podcast about this trial. I don't really know what his thinking was here with this line of defense. I mean, you just let him admit that he was there at the scene of the crime. But yeah. the prosecution had spent hours of their opening statement reconstructing travel and phone records to prove that Robert had been there. So they're really probably. So, I mean, I guess you can't deny that. Yeah. They probably didn't have much of a choice. Their opening statement, by the way, the prosecution's opening statement lasted three days. Deputy the
1: opening statement. Their
0: opening statement, the prosecution's opening statement lasted three
1: days. Oh my God. That feels terrible.
0: Yeah. DeGuerin's on the podcast, he said, um, not about that he wasn't referencing this at all. He was just talking about opening statements. And he said that his rule of thumb is like get it down to 30 minutes if you can. <laughs> like 30 minute opening statement.
1: I guess there's no, like, limit. Yeah. Yeah. I would have never thought that, like, you could just keep. Yeah. Going. I This is your one chance to, like, get it all out there without being interrupted, without anybody else's evidence being put in yet. Yeah. Yeah. So. And they took it. You know what? Next time I get in an argument was, like, next time me and Russell have a disagreement, I'm going to be like, I would like to first, this is my opening statement. You can't cut me off. I can introduce any concept, evidence, idea that I would like. Yeah. And then you may go. And then I'm just going to like filibuster the whole thing and just like <laughs> <laughs> day. I was going to say no, that's actually a great down. communication <laughs> style, but then no, he gets his yeah. turn too. <laughs> no, I'm just going to just exhaust him until like 4 days later he's like, "Okay, you know, I don't even I'm just I get an care. encyclopedia start reading from it."
0: Yeah. <laughs> and telling telling him how that <laughs> backs up your Your side. (laughs) Deputy District Attorney John Lewin, who's giving this lengthy opening statement, said (laughs) Bob Durst is not crazy. He's not some nut job serial killer who goes around killing for the thrill of it. Don't let this narcissistic psychopath get away with what he's done. Hmm. The prosecution said that when backed into a corner, Robert Durst kills people, he doesn't do it for fun or for pleasure but as a means to an end, a problem to solve. Uh DeGarren said that's not true at all. That's not true. He said that when Durst feels backed into a corner, he doesn't kill people. He runs away time and time again. He runs away. He said it was all on account of his autism. All of Durst's problems seem to lead right back to the disappearance of his wife, Kathy. The prosecution's theory of Susan's murder was that Robert had killed Kathy during a nasty divorce, so they were able to bring in Kathy's disappearance to this trial, unlike Morris Black's.
1: Why is that, do we know? Because it was directly related
0: related to Susan's murder, yes, and I think the prosecution was able to prove that they were directly related. I think possibly Robert Durst on appeal could have tried to appeal on that stand, and maybe a court would have agreed. Probably not. Yeah. The prosecution's theory of Susan's murder was that Robert had killed Kathy during this nasty divorce and hid her body somewhere in the Pine Barrens. And then he killed Susan to stop her from telling the police what she knew about that murder. And then he killed Morris Black to keep his cover in Galveston. But of course, we know that Robert Durst was acquitted of those charges. So I was really surprised that they were allowed to say that in court, to say that they thought Robert had killed Morris Black to keep his cover when he was found not guilty of doing exactly that. So I yeah. found that interesting. And obviously, DeGarren knew the Morris Black case really well. And I don't think he objected to that. We don't know. But I don't know right. if I didn't watch this. There is a lot of clips of this trial on YouTube, like hours and hours long testimony, all sorts of stuff. I obviously didn't watch all of it. I watched. you didn't watch
1: a three-day opening statement because that would
0: have been awesome i did not watch a three-day opening statement i watched some of it mostly clips from the closing argument and some from his testimony robert durst testimony okay anyways yeah obviously daguerran knew the morris black case really well and he used a similar argument in this case that he had in that one he asked the jury to separate that evidence From whatever evidence there was in Susan's actual death, because that was all that there was to decide. So he's trying to get them to remove all context of Susan's murder and focus on the actual act of the murder itself. And in this case, like I don't like I could buy it with the Morris Black dismemberment part because that's after the fact that I could see that being a panicked thing. I don't think that's what happened, but I could buy that theory. But, I don't think you can just take all context out of it and
1: not look at
0: what led to that point, right.
1: Well, because I think you're asking someone if you take away all context,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I feel like that includes things like motive exactly, and, uh, you know, all of that. like you can't just
0: right, and that's know, what he's at He's at, not done in a bubble he, exactly, and he's basically saying, separate the motive from the actual murder because there is no evidence that he like actually killed like there's no physical evidence there that said he actually killed her but he wrote the note he, well, the postcard makes me feel very confident he just found the body mogab he just walked in and found it all
1: these things then again why don't you call nine one one? like we're sending a postcard That's because like he'd been acquitted format.
0: of morris black's murder and his wife disappeared and he knew nobody would believe him because people just keep dying around him, isn't that weird? Was how people Morris keep be- dying around him? <sighs> Was Morris Black before this? Though he killed Morris after, but this trial is well after, after. like decades. This is in twenty twenty that this trial's happened. right.
1: But I'm just confused on like if he's saying that's that's why he sent the postcard because no one would believe him if he called him.
0: No oh, before, but I oh, right. This timeline's confusing me. You're right. Yeah, he sent yeah. the postcard before. He killed mm-hmm. Morris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, like what?
1: And it had been twenty. It's 20- just Weird how you can never mm-hmm. get authorities involved in these bodies. Right. He's- well,
0: he tried that one time, yep. but the lady was on the payphone, and her boyfriend wouldn't let her get off the phone. <laughs> right. He really tried really hard to get the cops involved, mm-hmm, and he, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, he did go to the police a week later after Kathy disappeared. So a week later, yes. Mm-hmm. After the pandemic started, because again, this trial started in March of 2020. So after the pandemic started, the trial was put on pause for 14 months, which is the longest delay a trial has ever had with the same jury. It's almost impossible to think that while they were all stuck at home, quarantined, binging netflix that they never got the urge to like flip over and watch the jinx or like look up anything to do with the case like how could you not yeah i would have been that?
1: my f- first, first thing. order of business. absolutely just kidding i definitely want to be on a jury i'm um, just kidding if i was
0: on a jury i would definitely follow all of the rules but unless i was on i this would ju- i actually would i Kristen, really no no chance i really would too unless i was on this jury because when i'm stuck at home by myself for 30 days there's no way I'm not flipping on the jinx.
1: Wait, is that what happens? You're not with anyone else, right? You're like sequestered? No, when the pandemic started. Yeah. No, oh, they weren't sequestered. Oh, you were from- right. You said alone. I was thinking like- No, they, I'm sequestered like, I myself would- as a single
0: person <laughs> who lives alone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, I definitely
0: need to be on a jury then. No, I just live my life sequestered.
1: <laughs> but with what Netflix and the internet. yeah. What a dream
0: but the ju- and cats well now cats yes i didn't have them and then. clicklist
1: kroger delivery oh yeah and no jimmy johns though within a radius to deliver so you're sol yeah that was disappointing
0: so i just i, I think it's impossible that they didn't watch the documentary or yeah anything. for sure at least some of them yeah but the judge interviewed the jury members and he decided to move forward with the jury instead of calling a mistrial and starting over the trial finally resumed in May of 2021, so almost a year ago, this past May. The defense tried real hard to play the sympathy card up with Robert, like, oh, look how sick and feeble he is, and he has all these health conditions, and he's always well. been, like, a small man. Like, he's rail thin and, like, five, six. but as he's gotten older, he looks much weaker and, like, terrifying. The prosecution is like, yeah, Uh, he's only old and feeble because he was able to live a full life, unlike his victims. Kathy never made it to 30. He'd killed her and gotten away with it for 40 years. Then he executed his best friend, Susan, and got away with that for 20 years. He's lucky that he gets to be old and feeble. He should not have been allowed to get old and feeble.
1: Yeah, you know it's a bigger health concern than burping all the time is losing all of your limbs to dismemberment. Right. So I don't have any sympathy. No. For that. The trial lasted 11 weeks, and all in all, there were 80 witnesses
0: called, nearly 300 exhibits introduced, and Robert Durst testified on his own behalf for 15 days. 15 days. Several of the witnesses called were friends of Susan's that could support the prosecution's theory that Susan was killed because of her knowledge of what happened to Kathy. One friend, Linda Obst, got on the stand and said that Susan had told her that she had been the one to make that phone call to the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, pretending to be Kathy, calling in sick. That, mm. like, last call, the last time anybody ever yeah, heard from yeah. Kathy. That was Susan Berman making that phone call. Wait, how do we know that? Her friend, Linda Obst, got on the stand and said that Susan told her she'd been the one to make that call. So Susan told Linda. Uh-huh. Okay. And it was the day after Robert said that she'd gone back to the city from South Salem. Susan told another friend who testified that she thought Robert had probably killed Kathy, but that since she was a gangster's daughter, she had different standards for friends than most
1: people. All right, Susan, bars on the floor. (laughs) Right. I was trying to figure out, like, why would she do all of this? Yeah. You know. But then it's like, she did all this, but then was going to you know, not testify. What am I trying to say? Talk to the police. Well, I think that they were having some kind of falling out. And we talked about it last time how
0: she was like in a really, really tough financial spot. Like she was about like she had she was behind on her rent. She was about to be evicted. She was calling up Mm -hmm. every contact that she had asking for money. Robert had actually sent her $50,000. And I think that like, her trying to get money from him was really putting a strain on their friendship. hmm And, yeah, I think at this point. But, re- I mean, because remember, like, 20 years before, he is the one walking her down the aisle when she got married yeah. and
1: giving her away, you know? Like, they were very so close. And then he kills her. I mean, yeah. how do you do that? How do you walk someone down the aisle and then you kill them? Well, how are? I mean, that right there is like how your brain is. If you're that close to somebody, you walked
0: them down the aisle and gave them away, and they're about to be evicted, and you're a a bajillionaire. How do you not like just save them? You wouldn't even notice it. You you paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars for your bail and then skipped out. You didn't care about that money, but
1: you're not gonna like. Can't get over the sandwich though. Like, is he really rich?
0: He had six hundred dollars in his pocket at the time and thirty eight thousand dollars in the trunk of his car (sighs) in cash. Yeah, he's rich. He's very rich. Nick Shaven testified, Shaven, Chauvin, something like that. He'd been friends with both Robert and Susan. And he said that he'd been at dinner with Robert in New York City in 2014. And Robert had told him that he had killed Susan. He'd said, I had to. It was her or me. I had no choice. That is wild. Nick also testified that Robert had told Susan that he'd killed Kathy. The prosecution. Played the tape from the bathroom where Robert said killed them all, of course, without realizing he was still being Mm -hmm. recorded. Several people close with Kathy testified about how their marriage had been crumbling, how Robert had been abusive. The defense made it clear that there was no evidence of Kathy Durst's death. I guess apart from the fact that she hasn't been heard from in 40 years and that there really wasn't any forensic or physical evidence at all. And, of course, we learned in part one that that's only because the police decided that she'd gone missing in New York City, not South Salem. So South Salem wasn't searched for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. They also said that the prosecution had failed to prove that Susan had made that phone call impersonating Kathy the defense also made the point that the prosecution was relying more on hype from the jinx than on actual evidence and i will tell you they played clips of it at this trial
1: (laughs) oh dang yes is it just a one i need to watch it is it just one no it's six
0: Six parts yeah it's like six episodes yeah i lost me i would check it out though i would i would at least watch like the first the first part In closing arguments, the prosecution once again walked the jury through every step of this case, how all the evidence pointed to the fact that Kathy Durst never made it to New York, and that in actuality, she'd never made it out of her South Salem home. He talked about how Robert had the means and the opportunity to get rid of Kathy's body. He presented evidence that Robert Durst had gone the day after Kathy had disappeared to... An all-purpose discount store that sold everything he might need to dispose of her body, from drop cloths to a bone saw. He used his credit card for the purchase.
1: Like, use the cash. That's what. Use your credit card for the sandwich. (laughs) Use your cash for the bone saw. Right.
0: He also showed the jury that list that Kathy's friends had found in Durst Trash. A list of possible disposal sites for the body. Remember, it said... And uh-huh. this is just a list straight down the paper. It said, Those are
1: my peeps of the week. The, <laughs> the gals digging in the trash. Yes. Uh-huh. Little trash pandas. <laughs>
0: Little trash pandas. It said town dump, bridge, dig, boat, other, shovel or question mark, check car trunk slash rent.
1: Yeah, that list feels like, now that you've just explained mm-hmm. how he like kind of rambles mm-hmm. to himself and like communicates, to, that feels very much like, his thought process yes like how he would articulate but don't
0: worry he has a perfectly reasonable explanation for this oh i am
1: sure of it
0: robert testified that that list was not possible disposal sites it was a to-do list for a high school kid named barry weiner he had wanted barry weiner to rent a truck to take this rotting sailboat to the town dump and then he said Bridge was short for Bridge Hampton, where he and Kathy were going to rent a house. And he said DIG stood for digital and so on and so forth. I mean, it, it was like it was an absurd lie. He was like, oh, no, DIG is D-I-G, digital for this blah, blah, blah. It was an absurd lie. Yeah, and uh, what's worse, he hadn't come up with it earlier when he was asked about the list in the jinx. They showed the footage during the closing argument of Jarecki asking him about the list, and he didn't have an answer for it. Nothing about Barry Weiner back then in 2014. What did he say? He, nothing. He, like, couldn't, he couldn't explain it. He didn't have an answer. The prosecution is fairly certain that because of those collect calls coming into the Durst Company from Ship Bottom, New Jersey, that Robert dumped Kathy's body in the Pine Barrens, where it will never be found. And he has spent the rest of his life killing and hiding and lying to cover up what he did to Kathy. The jury deliberated for about seven and a half hours before finding Robert Durst guilty. Yes. And then on October 14th, 2021, he was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Boy, bye. And then on January 10th, 2022, he died. Oh, I know. I mean, on one hand, you can say Robert Durst really did get away with it. You know, know, he had 40 years of his life as a free man that he should not have had. But clearly, he was never free. He continued to kill to cover up what he'd done. He was constantly on the run, but he just kept getting away with it. So at least he died knowing that we all know what he did. You know, he didn't didn't really get away with it in the end. Right. And that is the story of Robert Durst and the disappearance of... Kathy Durst and the murder of Susan Berman and the murder of Morris Black.
1: That should be the title or it should just be the story of Robert Durst, not to be confused with Fred Durst. Okay.
0: I'll go with that. Because. Sub. As we know. Subheading. Yeah.
1: Man, that was, that was a wild, weird triangle that we. Yes. <laughs> Do we think he killed Kathy and then told Susan? And then realized Susan wasn't going to talk. So he killed Susan. And then he goes down to Galveston. And what's the connection of him killing? Just maybe he told Morris. So and-
0: I think that Morris Black discovered who Robert Durst was. And then he's this loaded, wealthy billionaire and started blackmailing him saying, I know who you mm-hmm. are. I know where you are. I know you're on the run from Jeanine Perrault looking for you in New York. And I'm going to tell them where you are if you don't give me $5 million or whatever. I guarantee you, Morris Black knew exactly who he was and was blackmailing him. I don't think they were buddies at all. I think that he found out who his new neighbor was, not some little old mute lady Dorothy Siner. And he was probably like, what's this weirdo over here doing, dressing up (coughs) like this old lady? And Mm -hmm. went and Googled and saw a picture of Robert Durst and was like, hey, this guy's my neighbor, figured it all out, and blackmailed him. And so
1: Robert killed him. Yes, that is the last connection.
0: I think that Susan Berman was probably one of the very first people he called after he killed Kathy. And I think she was the one to tell him to go to New Jersey and dump her body in the Pine Barrens. And she was the one that was going to handle all the press. And she called, she made that phone call to help him establish his alibi in South Salem, pretending to be Kathy, calling in sick. Uh And then 20 years down the road, when she really is in a a financial spot, she also starts, you know, blackmailing him, maybe not as, as, as obviously as I bet Morris Black probably did.
1: But at least guilt tripping him. Yeah, like,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, really I've helped help out. you
0: out so much. How can you not help me out here? And wow. Uh, yeah, and so he killed her. I don't know if she would have actually talked to the police because she was still telling everybody like, oh, they're just trying to get Bobby and they're just, you know, on a witch hunt for him and all this stuff. Like she was still standing by him and still loyal to him, like to right. their friends. So I don't know if she would have, in the end, ended up actually talking, but it would have been nice to know for sure what really happened to Kathy. I think the prosecution has a good theory here, and I think it's backed by you know, certain things like those collect calls, but in the end, we don't really know, because those collect calls could have nothing to do with this. It could have been somebody else from that called in collect, not him. Yeah. We don't know. Well, we have no idea what really happened to Kathy, except... I know in my heart of hearts that he killed her in that house in South Salem because she was gonna
1: leave him. This is one of my least favorites.
0: You didn't like little mute old lady Dorothy Signer <laughs> dismembering a body?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: it's just the whole thing. Ah, it is a wild story. It's very interesting though.
1: Well, well do we have yeah. shout outs? We sure do. I'm glad you finally got this done. I know this has been on your to do list for eight months. Yes, said.
0: Yes. Hey, chill me chill. too. It's shout-out time. You go first.
1: It's shout-out time. If you want your shout-out, you've got to sign up for our Patreon. We have not talked then- about the Patreon. It's okay. Listen, the people know at this point, okay? But they they
0: need to be reminded. They need a little nudge. Oh, go ahead. You tell them. Tell the people. If you want your shout-out, sign up for the Patreon at the... want the perks. Yeah, at the, at the $5 level. We don't need to go through every stuff you get, stuff. You get There's stuff different
1: levels good
0: stuff extra content bonus content so head over there if you want to that would be great we would really appreciate it
1: but at every level you get our love and admiration and these people who signed up for their shout out get a little extra to start her off jen jacobs lol cry face emoji <laughs> that, that's how you wanted me to phonetically spell it i'm spelling it like that for you jen jacobs Thanks, Jen Jacobs. Next, we've got Katie Null,
0: who gave me no Sister. pronunciation. So I'm hoping it's Null. <laughs> it is. I know
1: her on a personal level. You know her? Yes. Thanks, Katie. Major shouts, Alice. Al- Alice. And this Alice in particular, I think may actually be my great-grand big. Or my great-great-grand big? I'm not sure, but I think she's in my DG family tree. But I- she graduated when I joined the chapter. Alice, if I'm right, let me know. <laughs> if if you're no relation and you're not a Delta Gamma, I sincerely apologize. But I think that's who this is. uh major shouts
0: to Denise King. Just don't call me Dennis. LOL. <laughs> just don't
1: call me Dennis. <laughs> Denise, <laughs> I we say would never. Like George, you just said it like a George Strait song. Dean Ice. Dean Dean Ice. <laughs>
0: Are D-nice over here.
1: And the one and only, last but not least, the Jason. Oh, it's like the MoGab, which is my Instagram handle. He gave us a challenge. Jason. Jason. (laughs) Jason. I will now only refer to you as Jason. Jason. (laughs) Jason gets major shouts because he was the person that sent us the book. Yes. And Jason, I have not started reading it yet. I did read you your better bring quote, it but you better I bring it gonna, with you and give it to me I was gonna say I think I'm gonna mail it to you but I remembered I was coming so I'm gonna bring it to Kristen and I will give it to her so that she could read it yes because she has all this free time to be reading all these <laughs> books about cases she's already done so you know I'm gonna thanks to you Jason.
0: uh and thanks to all of you for listening to this episode I hope you liked it if you did, if you could scoot on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a review, or you can also rate us over on Spotify, that would be really awesome. We would so appreciate it. It really helps people like find us and helps us do better over there. So that would be great. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, sometimes Twitter, at CreepersPod. And you can always send us an email if you have any feedback or case suggestions or whatever send us an email to creepers at gmail.com. We love hearing from
1: you guys. Did I hit everything? Is that all? Yeah. And yes. And you somehow incorporated the word that. <laughs> Scooch. <I loved> <laughs> all right. Well, bye peeps Fair and job. creeps. Bye peeps and creeps. Boots, scoot, and boogie.